All right, if you will, take your Bibles to Psalm chapter 63. Psalm chapter 63. If I'm not mistaken, this is the first time I've ever preached out of the book of Psalms. Uh... I know there's a lot of good stuff in Psalms. I may have preached to the teenagers one time out of Psalm chapter 51, but I know there's something difficult about preaching out of the Psalms because it's such a, a personal book. I mean, most of them are David's Psalms, and they're so much a piece of his heart. It's hard to really preach that, but tonight I hope that we can get through it and, and, and have a good evening around the Word of God. Psalm chapter 63 tonight, I want to speak to you about three courses you find in the Wilderness Steakhouse. Three courses you find in the Wilderness Steakhouse. Verse 1 of chapter 63 of Psalms, the Bible says, O God, Thou art my God. Early will I seek Thee. My soul thirsteth for Thee. My flesh longeth for Thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness. And my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. When I remember Thee upon my bed, and I I meditate on Thee in the night watches, because Thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of Thy wings will I rejoice. My soul followeth hard after Thee, Thy right hand upholdeth me. But those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth, They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for the foxes. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone that sweareth by him shall glory. But the mouth of them that speak lies shall be stopped. Gracious Heavenly Father, tonight I am so delighted and honored and privileged to be able to stand before a group of believers and preach your word. Lord, I don't take the assignment lightly. As I look forward to it all the time, it still intimidates me every time, knowing what's on the line. And no doubt, Lord, there's people in this room tonight that need to hear from your Holy Spirit. And Lord, there's people in here that have hard hearts that need your Holy Spirit to break them. Lord, there's people in here that need to hear from you. So, Father, tonight I ask for your help. I, help, I pray that you would help me, uh, give me discretion, give me wisdom. And I pray that the people in this room would open their hearts to receive a message from you tonight. And it's in your Son's precious name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Now, I believe that times where we find ourselves in the wilderness are very rarely easy. The wilderness obviously referring to difficulties in life, times of trials and even temptations. Those times that we would refer to as in the valley or wilderness times, oftentimes are very difficult. But I believe tonight that God is looking for a group of Christians who will turn their wilderness times into worshipful times. 
Here in America, we know a lot about food, don't we? I mean, uh, I have some very good friends. In fact, most of my friends talk about food all the time. My family knows a lot about food. Uh, One of the things that I enjoy is oftentimes for my birthday or or a special day, my dad will let us pick out where we want to go and and we'll go to a place that's a lot more nice than we would normally go to. And and we go to a place like Texas Day Brazil. And, And many of you have been there. Many of you know the whole gig of Texas Day Brazil. But basically you go in there and you know that you're going to have to confess the sin of gluttony afterwards. If you can imagine with me, if you've never been, basically what takes place is these guys and these, uh, just imagine them Spanish bullfighters, you know, the guys that walk around, that's how I picture them. And and they bring these uh, skillets around with these swords, like an Aladdin sword, you know, Arabian night sword, and that's how I I picture it. And, And they put it on this skillet, and up and down this sword, it basically serves as a giant shish kebab of greatness. On this sword, there will be anything from, you know, uh, peppered uh, filet mignon. Uh, my favorite is bacon wrapped filet mignon. They often have a, uh, a peppered crusted steak, which is usually the chef's special. They have lamb, leg of lamb. They have, I mean, uh, uh, chicken, which is stupid to eat chicken at a place like this. But all that being said, I mean, the whole time you have this button. And it's green on one side, red on the other. And, and while you're sitting at the table, if you want people to come up and say, would you like some more meat? You have it on green. At the time when you want them to stop bringing and you're about to pass out and you feel like you need a wheelbarrow, that's when you turn the button to red. It's an exciting time. So I've enjoyed those times when we've gone to eat. We know a lot about food in our country. Today, even, my family was trying to figure out where we wanted to go eat and and uh, we went to Outback last week. And, and it's kind of a hidden secret. If you don't want to wait in line, go to Outback. I don't know why. You know, everywhere else has a line. But we go to Outback, there's no line. And, and so this afternoon, we were all trying to decide where we wanted to go. And I said, you know what? I've kind of been craving a steak. Even though we went there last week, that, I'm kind of pathetic like that. Let's just go to Outback again. So this afternoon, we went to Outback. And I was able to enjoy my steak and my baked potato I'm pretty sure that cows grow baked potatoes on them, don't they? I, I remember working at a horse farm and I, we injected these cows with some penicillin. And I, I was pretty sure we were just injecting them with the seed for the potato that grew under the skin. That way when you took the steak out, it already had the potato attached. That's just how much I love steak and potatoes, man. I, I would eat it anywhere, but there are a few places that really, really do a steak and potatoes right. Now, I'll tell you what's the dumbest thing is when somebody goes to a steakhouse and orders vegetables. I'll have the uh, Bugs Bunny special, please. I'll take the veggie platter. I don't understand that. Why would you go to a a steakhouse that you can hear the cows mooing in the background and, and you get a veggie plate? I don't understand that. I'm afraid probably in, in Christianity... God has such a great steak and potato to offer us, and yet oftentimes we settle for appetizers. We settle for things that really don't fulfill our tastes. And, and all the while he's saying, I, I can fill you. I can, I can fill you like you've never been filled before. And we just say, no, no, just bring us average. 
just bring us less than adequate. We don't want the best. We just want mediocre. That's why tonight I want to look at three courses you find in the Wilderness Steakhouse. First of all, you have to really understand kind of what's taking place at this time in David's life. Second Samuel 15 tells us kind of what's going on. David has a son. His name is Absalom. Absalom is a strong man. He's a very good looking man. In fact, the Bible even says that uh, he was one of the best looking dudes in the whole town. So just basically imagine me, but in Bible times. And, and, and that's what you have. You have Absalom and He's such a good looking guy and and, and that's David's son. But Absalom has a little bit of a run in with his brother. And and maybe you know this story, but Absalom essentially kills his brother uh, over something that happened. Now, Absalom goes like a two year exile where he never sees his father. David never speaks to him. And really, David doesn't even want to see him because it's kind of a weird dynamic going on in the house of David right now. And so basically what takes place is after two years, Absalom returns and and David has asked him to return. But the weird thing is, David doesn't ever see Absalom. Now Absalom's living in the city where David is and he's he's right there and Absalom's requesting, hey, I want to see dad. I want to talk to dad. I want to tell him I'm sorry. And if he wants to kill me, that's up to him. But and really there's this weird dynamic taking place. Absalom and David finally meet after Absalom kind of forces David's hand a little bit. And they meet and they kind of make up. But their relationship is never really restored to what it once was. Now Absalom gets a little bit involved in city politics. And he's standing at the gate and he's seeing all these problems come to be judged. He's like, man, I I want to judge these people. I want, to, I want to be the guy that when they have problems, they come to. And, and th- that's what I want to do. And so basically, long story short, Absalom devises a plan whereby he can remove his father David from the throne of Israel. And he basically uh, uh, establishes this coup, if you will, this, uh, this strategy to kill David, his father. And that's where we're at. David finds out in 2 Samuel chapter 15 that his son is trying to kill him, is trying to remove him from the throne of Israel. And so now David says, well, we need to flee to the wilderness. And I don't know if you know this, but David was accustomed to being in the wilderness. He had a lot of experience with it when he was younger, when King Saul was chasing him around. And now Absalom has become David's King Saul again. And Absalom's trying to kill him and David removes himself from the throne and goes to the wilderness. No doubt this is a hard time in David's life. So why do you not hear him complain here? How is he able to act like everything's okay? I mean, after all, Absalom is trying to kill him. He's even taken David's trusted advisor, Ahithophel, and he's taken him and turned him against David. Why is David not more upset? It's because he was feasting on the three courses of the wilderness steakhouse. First of all, look with me if you will. When you're in the wilderness steakhouse, there will be a starvation. And you say, I would never go to a steakhouse to be starved. Look in verse number 1 of chapter 63. The Bible says, O God, Thou art my God. Early will I seek Thee. 
My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Now, even today, we were sitting there and, and, and we get really accustomed to, uh, you know, being waited on and served. And really, it's a little pathetic as the waitress takes five minutes to get to our table and service our drinks. And we're like, where is our waitress at? I cannot believe I am not her top priority. Don't I look like a big tipper? No, you look cheap. That's why she's not at your table. That, that's the reason. But you see, we get so upset when we go into a place and we don't get immediate service and immediate pampering. David says, when I'm in the wilderness, you know what I'm doing? I'm thirsting after God. I'm starving for His presence. And even when Absalom, my son, the guy who's supposed to have my back, the guy that's supposed to love me, even when he's chasing me around, I starve after God. Let me ask you, do you starve after your God? Do you thirst after His presence in your life? The Bible's very clear. Isaiah 26 verse 9 says, With my soul have I desired thee in the night. Yea, with my spirit within me will I seek thee early. John 7.37 is a promise from Jesus. The Bible says, uh, Jesus stood and cried saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. What a promise. Jesus says, you have needs, come to me. I've got the answer. The Bible even says in John 6, 35, And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Do you thirst after God in your life? My challenge to the teenagers oftentimes is, how is your prayer life? How is your Bible reading life? And you say, Brother Angie, you can just skip right over this part of the message. We're all saints here. I think that the person who is uh, consistently reading their Bible is not the person saying that. The person that's thirsting after their God says, yeah, you're right. I could probably use some more Bible reading. You're right. I could probably use some more time in prayer. You see, God has all the answers and all the solutions for our life. And, And he says, you seek me early, you'll find me. You're thirsty, I'll give you something to drink. You're hungry, I'll fill you with food that you don't even realize I have. Are you thirsty after your God? Now, my sister and I one time were fishing at the ranch. We were just throwing some lures, and we don't have any real big fish. I believe Brother Willie Caldwell caught like a 10-pounder. I still call him a liar to this day because I've never caught one over one uh, pounder. Uh, there in my tank, but we were fishing one day and me and my sister, you know, she's a, she's actually a really good outdoors person. Um, and, and you'd really be surprised I me mean, stuff. I wouldn't do. She'll do one time. She sat in a deer blind at 95 degrees all day. Wouldn't do it. Uh, uh, she, uh, will get in there and she's really, uh, cold is hard on her and she'll sit there and she'll, she'll be crying. She's so cold. If I ever get to the point where I'm crying, I'm going in the house. You know what I mean? I'll oh, maybe some hot chocolate, get a little snuggy action on, turn on some TV and I'll just shoot one out the front door if I ever get that cold. But Mandy's actually a really good outdoors person, but she doesn't know a whole lot. And so we're sitting there fishing. That's not an insult to her. She, she's, 
She knows a lot about basketball, maybe not deer hunting. See, while she was getting good at basketball, I was shooting stuff, okay? So that's the reason. Uh, but she's learning and she's getting a lot better. Hey, she's probably shot more big deer than you in the last three years, just saying. But anyway, and so we were out there fishing one day and, and you know, I was teaching a little bit. And we're, we're literally talking uh, really pretty loud because we're yelling across this pond at one another. And so we would catch one of these one-pounders, like, hey, Mandy, look at this. And Mandy would throw out there, and I'd catch another one-pounder. And obviously, Mandy doesn't catch any fish, because I'm the fisherman in our family. But she's out there trying, giving it a good time. What happens next, to this day, still surprises me. I'm standing out fishing. We're talking at a very loud level I look over and a deer walks up within 15 yards of me and takes a drink. And I'm like, what? What? I look over at Mania, I go, hey. You know, like if you harness your shout, it's a whisper shout and it's not very loud. That doesn't make any sense. And she looks over and I'm like, look at the deer. And I'm not kidding you. That deer is from me to the organ here. It's no distance at all. And it's just drinking. I couldn't believe it. Now it's hot outside. It's 95 plus. And this deer apparently was really dumb or really thirsty one But it comes up and regardless of me and Mandy's presence, begins to take a drink. You know, the Bible kind of gives us a picture of that in Psalm 42. The Bible says, as the heart or as the deer panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. I wonder if panting could describe your desire to see your God in your life. I wonder if a vehement uh, uh, effort to see Him move in your personal life would describe how much you're searching after God. You see, I I look at David and, and I see how he's in a cave probably and he's probably very emotionally torn, very distraught. I mean, after all, he's the king of Israel, but he's running from his son and it's just a bad time for David. But he says, at the worst time in my life, I'm going to seek after God. Do you seek after him? If you do seek after him, how do you seek after him? See, because turning on 90.9 or 88.3 or Brian Free and Assurance probably isn't enough. Turning on some station that, you know, is uh, focused on the family. I'm sorry, maybe it takes a little more effort than that. Are you thirsting after God? I mean, are you hungering after God? I have to say, David says... When you're in the cave, when you're in the wilderness, starvation is a needed asset. Secondly, look with me, if you will, the second course in the steakhouse, uh, the wilderness steakhouse, is a satisfaction. So first of all, we have a starvation, but look in verse 5, we see a satisfaction. The Bible says, 
My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness. And my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. David sitting in a cave. Hey, I want to just assure you, there's no catering service in the cave of the wilderness. David's king of Israel, but at this moment, he probably doesn't have somebody running to Mickey D's to pick him up something. Probably a little hungry. And he says, at this point in my life, when God shows up, I will be just as satisfied as if I had steak and potatoes sitting in front of me. We know a lot about food. Do we know a lot about spiritual food? Do we know a lot about when maybe fasting actually fills you up? You say, how how could that be? I'm just saying, God wants to do something in our church. Baptistry waters are stirred. People are getting saved. I'm just saying, maybe there's something to this cave. Maybe there's something to a wilderness that says, God, if you'll just show up, if, if you'll come, maybe we won't have a lot of stuff. Maybe we won't have great singing. Maybe we won't have great preaching. Whatever, God. But if you're here, it'll be fine. Maybe we have a little dirt on the parking lot. Maybe it's difficult to get around the, 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 the premises here, the auditorium here. But I'm just saying, maybe God's wanting to do something. And I wonder if you're the type of Christian that stands up and say, God, I'll take a little longer, lot, longer walk to the sanctuary if you'll do something with the Joshua Baptist Church. My friend, I believe that God will satisfy us if we will seek after Him. And we have that promise. Psalm 90 verse 14 says, Oh, satisfy us early with thy mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all the day. God wants to do something. I wonder if you're seeking after it. I wonder if you're hungering after His hand upon this church and upon your life. As a father now, as, as a, a husband now, I have to say, I'm hungering, I'm thirsting for direction in my family. I hope father's in here today, and I'm, I'm not very experienced at it. I mean, all I felt was my little girl kick my hand. I've not had her back talk me, I've not had her sass me yet. Now, her mama does plenty, but... Uh, but I'm just saying, I hope that with everything you are, man of God, you're seeking after God in your life. I recently read a story about three men who were trying to walk through this wilderness area. They came to this river that was far out of control. It was really uh, unpassable, if you will. These three men began to decide that if they're going to cross this river, they're going to need God's help. So the first man bows his head and begins to pray. And he says, Father, I pray that you'd give me the strength to pass over this river. So miraculously, in the blink of an eye and snap of fingers, this man grows some strong arms and some strong legs. Much like you see on me today, modeled in front of you. All these are sarcasm. I just want to let y'all know that. I know I'm not that big, all right? I understand that. And this man uh, miraculously now has strong legs, strong arms, and 
he begins to pass over the river. And uh, it takes him a long time, about two hours, to fight through the current and the riptides and, and all that's going on. And he really almost drowned two different times in his past. And so he said, he gets across and they said, well, we've got to figure out something else. Because us two, we got, this has got to be easier than that. So one guy looks up to him and says, Oh God, I pray that you would give me the strength and the tools to pass over this river. So this man now, obviously, when the snap of a finger happens, the blink of an eye happens, his arms grow strong, his legs grow strong, and God gives him a raft. He hops in the raft and he's fighting the waves, fighting the current, but his raft almost tips over one time and it takes him about an hour to cross over because the river is that strong. Now, finally, the one man says, I think there's got to be an easier way. He says, Lord, I pray that you would give me the strength, the tools, and the intelligence to cross over this river. In the blink of an eye and the snap of a finger, he turns into a woman. She looks at the map, walks a hundred yards up, and walks over the river. That'll hit some of you here in a little bit. And for you men that are like, there ain't no woman crossing no river. I don't know. They're pretty good drivers. You know, I understand fully that snap of fingers and blinks of eyes don't change our circumstances. I understand that we can't just pray something and immediately like a magician perform uh, uh, and give us a solution. But I do believe that God has solutions to our problems. And I believe without a shadow of a doubt that He can fully satisfy you even when you're in the wilderness. I'm just afraid too many Christians fail to turn to the One who has the answers to all. Fail to turn to the One who can get them where they need to go. Recall with me, if you will, the story where Uh, in the Gospels where the disciples, they're on a boat. Jesus is in the hinder part of the ship and He's laying down on a pillow and He falls asleep. That night, the storm gets a little raucous, doesn't it? It gets a little much for them. And and they all get a little scared. And and, and so, they then y'all know this story, they then go to the back of the ship and say, Jesus, come help us, come help us. Now, isn't it funny that us preachers and us Christians give them a really hard time for that? It's like, why didn't you have the faith? Let me just say, if Jesus was in the back of the boat, I'd have been waking him up too. Because he's got the solution. Can I just submit to you today, Jesus is on your boat. He's on your side. And friend, he's not even asleep. He's just sitting back there waiting for you to ask him to help you. And he says, oh, I have the answers. If any man come after me and seek me, he will find me. The Bible says, draw nigh unto me, God, and God will draw nigh unto you. Friend, God is not hiding himself from us. He wants to satisfy us. He wants to give us great things. He wants to pull you out of this difficult valley in your life. But are you going to him? He wants to satisfy us. He wants to. First of all, The first course is starvation. The second course is uh, satisfaction. Finally, look with me, if you will, a shelter. Look in verse 7. David says, Because thou hast been my help, 
Therefore, in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. Now, I understand that oftentimes uh, people use word pictures to kind of help us understand. I don't know if you all remember, but Brother Ken Bates, when he preached... He had some of the craziest word pictures and he was like, and the hammer of God's throne will bash your problems. It was like, I'm too dumb to do it. But he was really good at it. And I understand the thought of word pictures, but I don't believe this is one. Why would David say the shadow of God's wing? At no other point in the Bible does it give us any indication that God has wings. So why would he say the shadow of God's wing? I believe the answer is in 2 Samuel chapter 15. Remember we referred to it earlier as Absalom is chasing him. There's a man named Zadok in that same story. And David flees and Zadok brings the Ark of the Covenant. Which represents, and we all know this, the presence of God. And so Zadok is carrying this Ark of the Covenant On top of it is two cherubims and and their wings cover what's called the mercy seat. Uh, Y'all know the story. And Zadok brings it out and David gets out to the wilderness. He says, you know what? Take that back to the city. I'm going to meet with God out here and I don't need that. I'm just going to meet with Him out here. And the last picture in David's mind is Zadok walking the Ark of the Covenant, which has the mercy seat on it, with two wings of cherubims covering the mercy seat, walking over the hill. You don't think David was talking a little bit about the wings on the Ark of the Covenant? Maybe David was saying, God, I want you to throw me on the mercy seat. Father, at this time of desperation in my life, In this difficult instance where my son is rebelling against me and he's trying to kill me and trying to do crazy things to me, I just wonder if David was saying, Lord, just shed your mercy on me. Isn't that what we all want in a time of trouble? In the time of our wilderness? I don't believe that God was just throwing a shadowy cloud over David. I believe fully David was saying, God, I need your mercy. I need you to shelter me with it. I need you, your mercy to pour down upon me. I believe fully that's what the Bible says. Hebrews 4.16, we all know this verse. The Bible says, Let us therefore come boldly uh, unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. The Bible tells us that we can cast all of our cares upon Him, for He careth for our souls. Philippians 4 tells us uh, in verse 6, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts. You see, what the Bible is saying is, in your time of difficulty, in your wilderness experience, I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's a a job situation. Maybe it's a marriage situation. Maybe your kids are rebelling. I don't know what your wilderness is, but we have them, do we not? 
I believe fully the Bible's telling us this evening that if we'll just go to Him, He'll send help. I recently... uh, Well, one of my favorite stories that I've ever heard regarding hymnals was a man by the name of Horatio Spafford. Now, many of you may not know him. He wasn't a preacher by any means. He, he was very involved in religious things. I mean, some of his greatest friends were great preachers of the time. But Horatio Spafford was nothing more than just an attorney, a very successful lawyer in the city of Chicago. One evening, uh, as many of you may recall, there was a great fire that broke out on eight, in October 8th, 1871. Now, Horatio Spafford had a lot of properties, a lot of investments, but the great fire of Chicago burnt down almost everything he had. This was a very difficult time for Mr. Spafford and his family. After two years, Mr. Spafford decided to just send his children and his wife on over to England, and he would shortly follow after them just for a a sabbatical, if you will, just to get away from it all. That night, he put his daughters and his wife on that boat. He said, I'll, I'll be over shortly. We're going to actually help in some revival meetings, and it's going to be a great thing, but I've got to take care of some last-minute last business things. On that voyage, one boat collided right into the other boat. Now, what was unique about this was the boat that Mr. Spafford's family was on sank to the bottom. Well, the other boat was not harmed enough that it was able to gather survivors and get them back to land. The unfortunate thing was only Mr. Spafford's wife survived. All four of his daughters were killed at sea that day. And Miss Spafford hopped on the vessel and she got back over to England and she, spent, she sent Mr. Horatio Spafford a telegram that simply said, Saved alone... Children lost. What shall I do? Now, Mr. Spafford already had plans to go over, but immediately he hopped on the next boat that he could find over to go comfort his wife. On that voyage, Mr. Spafford, obviously heartbroken, obviously very torn, just sat down and began to write a poem. And these are the words to that poem. When peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrow like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. He goes on to say, Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance take control. That Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. See, Mr. Spafford realized in his wilderness, it was much better to focus on what Christ had done for him. And the blood of Christ had been shed for his own soul. He goes on to say, My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. 
Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. The final verse of this, and I can just imagine, as he looks out over the raging seas, probably at the lowest point of Mr. Spafford's life, not knowing what he's going to say when he gets over to his wife, he writes this, And Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so it is well with my soul. I want you to understand tonight, and we're almost done. I want you to understand, you're about to go in a valley, you're in a valley, or you're just coming out of a valley. I want you to understand, wildernesses don't exempt anyone. And wildernesses are the time that we learn. Remember, recall to your mind where Moses met God for the very first time. It was in that burning bush on the backside of the wilderness. I want you to understand, John the Baptist had a great revival break out, not in town, in the wilderness. I want you to understand tonight, Abraham, when he first heard God's call in his life, said, Abraham, leave the city and go to the wilderness. Great things happen in the wilderness. Jesus, in Luke chapter 4, being tempted of the devil, goes to the wilderness so he can be spiritually charged, so that he can have victory over Satan. You tell me that great things don't happen in the wilderness. Even the great King David learned how to worship his God without the need of a temple, without the need of a priest, without the need of any special furniture. He learned how to worship in the wilderness. Friend, God has solutions. God wants to shower you with His grace and His love and His mercy. And you're in a time, maybe right now, that seems very hard to get through. God says, come to me. And all who will seek me will find me. Friend, are you in a wilderness? Are you at a time in your life when things just don't seem to be connecting? A vision definitely isn't telling you where to go. Turn to Christ. Because He's on your boat. Friend, are you at a time right now that says, I'm trying to be a good father, I'm trying to be a good mother, but I just simply don't have the answers for my child? As a youth director, my heart cries out to you. Turn to Christ. Because your disciplinary uh, skills probably lack a lot when it comes to what Jesus Christ can do in their life. Your ability to reason with them and to talk to them, and whether it be to ground them, whether it be to spank them, that all falls short when Christ is saying, Turn to me, I have solutions. Who are you going to? Are you at a time in your life you say, Man, I just don't have the money. Bills are piling up and money ain't. I know the God who owns a cattle on a thousand hills. And He's sitting in the back of your boat saying, if you'll come to me, I'll help you. My friend, the wilderness is a good place. It's where Christians grow. It's where Christians learn. 
But make sure you don't turn to yourself in that time. Make sure you go to the person with the right answers. Amen.